Well, welcome to the Apologetics.com radio show, where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. I'm Harry Edwards, your host for the evening. Joining me in the studio are my good friends Lenny Esposito and Jason Kim, who is our special guest tonight. And uh, he is the lead pastor at La Habra Christian Church, the church where I serve as part-time associate pastor. So welcome to both of you. Special welcome to Jason. Yes, absolutely. Welcome, Jason. Yeah. Um, You're probably wondering why we have Pastor Jason here tonight. Uh, That's because I feel like he is an interesting pastor. He is relevant. Uh, He is also an Uber driver. And um, you, you give... Is it okay? So, to say so is it is it like the Nietzschean Uber pastor? Is that is, is that is that what <laughs> yeah. we're talking about? Well, there that's are some too, of us yeah. doing that, yeah, <laughs> that too. But I feel uh, like what Pastor Jason is doing, he uh, is very intimately connected with culture. Mm. Uh, after all, Uber is sort of a cultural thing nowadays, it is, right? Yeah. It, it's become Absolutely. a verb. I mean, it's it's just part of our daily lives now. It's p- part of the current social imaginary. It's the, it's the right? zeitgeist of the time. Yes. That's right. There you go. So, uh, in fact, I, we're going to uh, talk more about that uh, as the evening progresses, but just want to uh, remind our listeners that this is part of a whole series that we're calling, Does the Church Play a Role in Culture in Culture Change? Does the Church Play a Role in Culture Change? Episode 2. Right. Mm. So if you know, uh, if your pastor might be interested in joining our show, and they kind of have to be within driving distance because we do our shows live. They got to be in here in the studio. Uh, If you know a church leader, or if you are listening and you're a pastor, you're a church leader, we want to talk to you. We want to know how you view culture. All right. Um, Does your church play a role? in culture change. And what is culture to begin with? What is the church to begin with? What is uh, its purpose and uh, its telos, right? Mm. What's what's that all about? Um, So, of course, the short answer is yes, okay? The church does play a role in culture change, but, but how? So nowadays, if you pay attention to our pastors and church leaders, you might hear them say things like, the church is at a crossroads, right? Or some form of culture warring language. Or if you follow Andy Stanley, a pastor of a large megachurch in Georgia, he avoids politics, according to an article in The Atlantic published about three years ago. Mm-hmm. So he's more to, he, he tries to divorce his church from from a big cultural thing like politics, right? Or, or his, how about his dad? Uh, I heard him during one of his sermons. He said that culture may change, but the church doesn't. All right. So I know he might have meant something else. Yeah, by I, I'd, it, I'd like to hear the nuance of that right. because um, taken at face value, that's that's just demonstrably false. Right. But here's my point. But the fact that he didn't highlight uh, those nuances. It, uh, it proves our point that uh, for churches, culture is to be avoided or that they don't mix at all. Right. You know? there's, a, there's an assumption that the church can somehow um, uh, separate itself from culture right. completely. And, 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 or perhaps there's a, 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 an idea that uh, the, the church in its best form would rise above 
and and be separate from culture, not be affected by the whims of culture. Yeah. Uh, and I, I I think that again, I I don't think that's possible. Right. Well, it really depends on how you define culture. I don't know how yeah. Andy Stanley is defining it. But some people define culture as the world, and if that's the case, I could see what Andy is saying. Yeah, I, I, and I wouldn't say culture is the world because there is a Christian culture, so so it can't be quite that disparate. Uh, there is a way the world does things that Christianity would balk against, but there are certain other aspects of living that we are neutral so both secular and christians can agree on maybe a presumption of innocence uh trial by jury or uh you know uh even uh modern uh methods of of uh etiquette mm -hmm. how you how you eat and things like that those are those are neutral but they're reflective of culture i like to keep things very simple and practical and to me culture is just people People, how mm. they, the behavior of people, which is based on their worldviews and beliefs. Yeah. And so, for example, if everybody in this country were Christian, like really Christian, not yeah. just in religion, we would automatically have a Christian culture, not right. because we formed it or had a plan. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I kind of define culture as uh, the outworking of one's beliefs. So, so how you right. take your beliefs and put them into practice. Exactly. And the practice is what yeah. really makes it yeah. work. And, and again, some of those beliefs we hold in common with uh, people of secular points of view, some of that is simply spillover from being reared in a much larger history of Christianity. Uh, so, for example, all men are created equal. That's a that's really a Christian idea. That that's a Judeo-Christian mm -hmm. concept. It doesn't come from other. Matter of fact, in most other cultures, most other societies, there's always the us and the them. Right? There's the Jew and the Gentile. There's the uh, you know the Japanese and the Gaijin. There's the the um, well. There's even the faithful and the infidel, or the Greek and the barbarian. There's always the us and the them. Yeah. And Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 there is no Jew or Greek or slave or free. We're all one in Christ Jesus. So. Like I know last week, we uh, we were here last week, actually. Yeah. yeah when uh, John Noyes was supposed to be doing it, but that's okay. You know, He's busy. He's busy. And he's doing good stuff. So, yeah. John, if you're listening, kudos to you. But the couple definitions that we adopted were by, at least I like both of these. Uh, one is from Oz Guinness. I think it's uh, Life Lived in Common mm -hmm. or something like that. Uh, Andy Crouch, uh, he says, culture is what people make, pretty much. It's what people make. So that could be language, that could be behaviors, that could be whatever. It's what people make. It, almost imagine how uh, God created grapes but man created wine, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's what people make. So, um, so th th those, are, those are simple understandings of uh, culture. Now, wh what about the church? What, what did we say the church is? Well, I would, I would define the church as uh, the entity uh, of Christ's body on earth helping to... Um, establish and promulgate the kingdom of God until his return. That's good. Would you include past saints? As part of the church? Uh -huh. 
Well, they had they were part of the church in in that regard. No, they, I mean before before uh, oh, Pentecost. Oh, you mean uh, Old Testament yeah. saints? Were they were they part of the? No, I think the church is a specific entity post that that has its birth at Pentecost because Jesus says the kingdom of God is now. I don't think the kingdom of God was in Micah's day. I think I think the the advent of the Savior is a seismic shift something that's completely unique in world history and that changes that might the be debatable thing. lenny i might okay yeah i'm not sure about that but that's okay um, yeah, as a covenant theologian i believe abraham and moses were part of the church but that's a different topic right right yeah. that's a different topic right yeah but that's that's close enough for me yeah so what what's uh the church's mission well again as i said it is to it is to live out of course, be, become disciples of Jesus, to love God with your yep. heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, and in so doing, establish the kingdom of God and uh, grow it. Yeah, okay. Because the kingdom of God, is, it, Willard even makes this point that the kingdom of God is here now. It's not some future thing. It's, right, right. it's actually established. Right. All right, so I definitely want to spend some time talking to Pastor Jason here about what he does at La Habra Christian Church and uh, how he views culture and how he views his ministry as impacting culture or transforming culture or reforming culture, whatever you want to uh, call it. I know during the break we talked about Richard Niebuhr's mm-hmm. uh, big work, Christ in Culture, and there he outlines different understandings of, of uh, how Christ relates to culture. So I guess we're all firmly in the camp of Christ redeeming culture, Christ transforming culture. Yeah. And, but again, maybe on some of the episodes we can talk about how, how some understand Christ against culture or Christ above culture or Christ within culture, you know, those kinds of understandings. But uh, I think for now, uh, I think we're safe to say that we do understand that Christ transforms culture or redeems. I know if uh, uh, Jacob was here, he'd probably say redeems, redeems culture, culture. Right, right? That's what he would say. So, Pastor Jason, um, tell us more about yourself. How did you get into uh, being a pastor? You well, have an before interesting I get background. into that, yeah. well, I believe that the, I'm, I'm glad we agree that the mission of the church is to transform culture. Yeah. I think uh, Niebuhr's book, I think it, I think in the book, it's, clear cut into five different categories but I think if you look at culture today especially in America it's really hard to really separate those the way we react to culture in those five different ways like I said I like to be very practical in my seminary we were very always theological and theoretical and not really putting it into how do we put them into practice but when I was in college in Berkeley we had there were brilliant people there but they didn't really care about having these lofty discussions about theories. They wanted to put them into practice. How do we change the laws? How do we get that guy out of office? How do we make this happen? And mm-hmm. that was their main core, And which is, I guess, I kind of gained from that in which if the mission of the church, I believe the mission of the church in, on earth is far different from our mission in heaven. And it's very general to say our mission is to glorify God. But let's be practical. On earth, I believe our mission is to evangelize. Our mission is to make people Christian. And I think Jesus himself, I mean, it would be great to have Jesus (laughs) in this room right now. I think he handles Christ and culture by saying to us that we are to be salt of the earth. And I think that's exactly how I see culture in that 
I mean, yes, we could. Yes, it's, if the church loses its purity, we lose our saltiness. We have to be distinct and we have to be pure. But that doesn't mean being like the Amish or the Mennonites and being staying as salt. They're mm -hmm. pure. They're good. They're better than some of our kids. But they're staying in the salt shaker. They yeah. haven't got out into the world. Yeah. God's telling us to go out into the world. But, you know, I don't know if you were, if you ever pranked any of your friends at the dinner table and you got that salt shaker and you unscrew the top <laughs> yeah. and they just <laughs> put them in their spaghetti and it's like, okay, we like salt. It's important to us. But nobody wants a whole bunch of salt right. in one bite. Right. And <laughs> I, I believe, in my opinion, that American culture in the 80s and 90s were um, reacting towards what they believe was too much salt, yeah. mm -hmm. too much salt in the 50s and 60s, especially in the Bible Belt. And those statements is an exaggeration. Mm -hmm. It really wasn't too much salt. Mm. But their perspective, which is my point tonight, their perspective was there was too much. And so uh, they, well, well, and there was a lot of uh, superficiality, right, especially I, within the, the Southern um, Baptist tradition where you, you know, they, cause for example, the, the there's a phrase called, uh, and REM made a hit song about this, losing my religion. Mm -hmm. And what losing your religion means is you start saying curse words. That's that, that is, it's a euphemism in the South. Don't you, if you make me lose my religion, it means that you start talking the what's on your heart as opposed to what you should say, you know, it to be a nice Christian man or a nice, but what that does is that, that, really uncovers how your mind works right so so there was a superficiality that a, lo a lot of people pushed back against because it, religion mm -hmm. was was seen as the proper etiquette but it you know was it making a soul change almost in a mm -hmm. way pro um oppressive yeah. and the perspective was that i'm losing my religion please take off these shackles from me yeah. let's get the required prayer out of the schools i want to have control over my own body and the language of the day was there's too much salt. Yeah. There's, they're oppressive. They're abusing their powers, which, which wasn't the case, but I could see how they could see it like that. Yeah. And today we see an overreaction, which we've taken church out of so many aspects of our yeah. culture. Yeah. And uh, if we're going to be salt in the earth, we have to go back into the world, although not of it. We need to be distinct and pure as salt, but we need to come out of the salt shaker and into the world. And in my church, I believe we're trying to do that I, it's not just my church, but also we want to, for example, we have this uh, once a month uh, ministry called Benevolence. We give food for the needy. We don't get on a microphone and start preaching Jesus. or We don't say, uh, we, you can't have food unless you come to our church. We don't do any of that, but it's benevolence. We are being nice. We are being kind. We are sharing the love of Christ, although not explicitly the gospel. And some people might criticize that, but it's one way of changing culture, which means changing beliefs, changing perspectives, and which is what I love doing, whether it's uh, doing Uber or doing church ministry or just talking to, the, to a guy on a random bus stop. Yeah. yeah. See, for me, I don't draw a fine line between good works and, let's say, preaching the Word. You know, I mean, those are all good things uh, because it's all about being salt. So... Uh, but anyways, let's talk more about, uh, Pastor Jason, how you got into um, the pastorate. Yeah, I know okay. you have an interesting testimony there. Sure. I used to work as an engineer straight out of college. I became a civil engineer. And, uh, of course, as many of us should, we I was serving at church, and I was serving in my youth ministry. And one day, the youth pastor just left. I don't even know why. And my senior pastor comes up to me and says, well, I know you love the Bible. Can you start 
preaching on Sundays. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Hold on. I'm just an engineer. I love God, but uh, I can't do that. But he talked me into it by saying, it's only for a couple of weeks. That's the biggest lie I've heard from a senior <laughs> pastor. <laughs> right, sure. I ended yeah. up doing that for two years, and I loved it. I was living for the weekends. I was. I couldn't wait till I was done up with my work on Friday, so I could just get into the Word and and start doing ministry. And of course, when things got so busy at work that I could just couldn't do so much church work, I was praying about God. How do I tell my church I just can't do this anymore because I have to. I have my own office now. Mm. I have people working under me as an engineer. I just can't. And uh, to make a long story short, God revealed that basically he was calling me into the ministry, that this is my passion. This is what I should do. And of course, I said, no, because <laughs> I love my paycheck too much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I said, God, I'm supporting missions. I- I'm-, I'm doing so much good with my money. Mm-hmm. But you can't say no for- to God forever. And I felt <laughs> like Jonah. And eventually I had to step away and uh, leave my work and go into seminary. But one of the main reasons why I said no to God wasn't really the money. That's just an excuse, of course. It was really my belief that, God, I'm not qualified. I'm not like those pastors out Mm. there who are so holy and so pure. I'm just me. I'm just a regular Joe. I'm just a regular Jason. I mean, you've got the wrong guy. I'm not like those people. And God revealed to me eventually that if God wanted those people, he already has them, and he doesn't need me. But the reason he called me was because I was different, and I had a specific calling and a specific mission to a specific people. And my heart is to reach other people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love Christians too, but especially my YouTube yeah. channel. I'm really it's which it's called a uh, Pastor Jason Answers, and uh, yeah, my, look it up, look the, it up. The people I really <laughs> want to reach are non-Christians. And, I mean, I could talk to Christians and tell Christians what they want to hear but I mostly tell non-Christians what they don't want to hear. (laughs) And so I get a lot of flack for that. But um, that's my heart. I want to reach the guy who doesn't know Jesus. I want to reach the guy who's gone to church. He's sick of church. He doesn't like church. Why? I want to speak to those people who are not in love with Jesus, and I want to know why they should love Jesus more. Right. And I know uh, you mentioned unique, and indeed you are, because I don't know anybody else. who actually drives uh, Uber for Uber and enjoys it. Uh, I know you do uh, in your spare time. Uh, as a pastor, I know you, you're intentional about it. Tell us, tell our listeners how you got into it and how you connect that with your uh, pastoral duties. Well, it had nothing to do with ministry. I was on break. I was watching my kids more longer. I was taking a break from ministry for about six months after uh, spending 20 years as a youth pastor. And, uh, as an introvert, I know that I need to uh, get out more. I need to come mm. out of my comfort zone. I need to uh, get to talk to strangers more often. So I thought Uber might be a great way to do so, plus make some money on the side. And uh, as a Christian, of course, sometimes I talk about Christian things. I got to share the gospel because it's a natural overflow of who we are as Christians. Now, one night, I was sharing the gospel, and he told me, stop the car. I want to become a Christian. And he wanted to know which church we can go to this late at night that would still be open. And I told him, you don't have to go into a church to become a Christian. I'm a pastor, and I'm, I'm just a Christian, and I could lead you. And then to make a long story short, okay, 
okay, he became a Christian. He he prays and he becomes a Christian. And it was the most awkward moment because uh, do we hug inside the car? Do we get yeah. out of the car and hug? I mean, how do we do this? And do I charge him for the ride? <laughs> I charged him for the ride. <laughs> you asked for the five stars too. Right. Yeah. But that, once again, is a change in perspective. Who would think in this culture today that you could get into a 15-minute Uber ride and at the end of that ride become a Christian? And to me, that was a change a perspective you could say that's how culture change happens and i realized you know what this can actually happen again and again and it has and so i mean no one would believe me if i were to say hey someone takes an uber ride for 15 minutes and become a christian so i decided to uh, record my interactions on youtube on video and just put it up on youtube and people coming to christ people um getting their objections answered and it's been an amazing journey of how god can use an Uber driver and other people have seen these videos and have called me and emailed me. How do I do the same thing? And there are at least 20 people around the country doing the same thing that I've done, oh. getting on Uber mm. and just talking about Jesus. In your sermons, uh, Jason, do you uh, have this idea that there, there's going to be an aspect in the sermon where I challenge people to be kind of like the whole in the world, but not of it? Do you, do you plan those kinds of things? I don't specifically say to be in the world but because not, I already yeah. assume that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's already in the preaching that if you're not in the world then then it doesn't make sense. Then where are you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But actually um we can't help it because we are people. We are inevitably in culture and engaging in culture even if you don't want to. Now, I can't speak for the Amish. I haven't spoken to any of them, but just living in LA I mean, you can try to be in your Christian bubble, listen yeah. to Christian music, wow. but you still have to go to Starbucks. You still have to interact with the world. Yeah. And and like I define culture, it's not some theoretical lofty thing. It's people. It's mm -hmm. interactions. It's behavior. What do you do on your birthday? Culture means you make a birthday cake. Is that pro-Christ or anti-Christ? I would say neutral. That might get some criticism. But culture is what we do as people and as Christians living with other people, you can't avoid yeah. it. So, so let me give you an, an example. We spent quite a lot of time talking about Carl Truman's The Rise and Triumph of the yes. Modern Self. And if you remember at the beginning of that book, he offers an illustration. He says, if you were to ask my grandfather, is your job meaningful? His response would be, well, it gives me a paycheck every week. I have a roof over my head car i'm fairly comfortable my family's well fed yeah but if i were to ask my son or grandson is your job meaning i don't know if it's really <laughs> me i really want to find something more creative okay that distinction is a change in culture mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. those answers are equally as prevalent within the church as they would be outside the church so here's a good example of where our culture has shifted and the church is followed right along suit with this is why i say the idea of the church sitting somehow outside culture is simply impossible because these kinds of concepts they're not theological per se but they are adopted as 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 a common understanding of what you should be we need to find fulfilling work for us something that it finds our true expression in who we are though those all of those ideas are relatively new they're they're you, just, you won't find them even in many 
developing nations, right? They just want to eat. Right. Okay. If you're in India, you just want a job that pays you so you can eat. That's, that's, you know, you want to su survive. But here we have the, the, um, the conceit of affluence and we can make those, I really want it to be <laughs> yeah. something creative, you know. We have first world problems. So exactly. Those kinds exactly. of things, but which is a cultural item nowadays. It is nowadays. a cultural yeah. item. And that's, and that's yeah. a good example yeah. of how the church is infused in the in the soup of yeah. modern society. Yeah, I, I remember reading that as well and thinking that's why as the culture changes, the church must also change in reacting and responding to that. Um, Josh McDowell's last latest book, um, I liked it and I really hated it because it was very different from... Mm. Well, I mean, when I picked up the book, I expected the classic Josh McDowell, yeah. the evidentialist, but it was purely presuppositional apologetics. Oh, Be is it now? Yeah, oh. because he realized or he knows that um, archaeological proofs don't really have that same yeah. pull for postmodernists. So That's to right. talk to postmodernists, he has to go the more Vantillian presuppositional way. And so reading this classic Josh McDowell guy talking but presuppositionalism, I'm like, I don't want to read this. And yet I know why he did it, because that's how you reach and respond to the new culture today. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I guess one of the reasons why I want to keep hammering the whole in the world but not of it is because I think we can help the church uh, discern or maybe make those categories in their minds that, yeah, maybe one of the reasons why they don't feel at home at church is because they're also in the world. Mm -hmm. And, and so maybe they have to understand that you can be in the world, but not of it, mm. you know, so. Right. And, and, and maybe make certain distinctions, like, like even drawing attention to that kind of concept of, you know, is, is our job, is there another aspect to our job in glorifying Christ and in our uh, understanding? Maybe we draw those concepts out that we've never talked about before, because that then changes the perspective of other people, and there's many issues like this that we can talk about where where the church has been silent, and maybe they shouldn't be. No, that's a good point. I know we're coming up on a station break pretty soon, but we have been talking about the whole topic of does the church play a role in culture change? And we've invited Pastor Jason, who is our special guest, and he is illuminating some of those things for us tonight. So uh, stay tuned, and we'll be back after a few words. Well, welcome to the uh, second half hour of the Apologetics.com radio show, where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. I'm Harry Edwards, your host for this evening, and in the studio with me are my good friends Lenny Esposito, and our special guest this evening is Jason Kim. Uh, welcome back again. But before we get into our topic, which is, does the church play a role in culture change, I'd like to just mention uh, that we are um, supported entirely by your generous donations. If you find our shows valuable and wish to see it continue, please support us by liking and sharing this on YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter, and other social media outlets. You can also help us with our radio costs by going to our website, www.apologetics.com and click on the donate button. Any amount helps. Your partnership will help us remain on the air. We are, uh, again, did I mention that we are a nonprofit organization? So your donations are indeed tax deductible. So uh, 
let's get back to our topic. So again, we are in the next few shows that we're going to do, uh, we are trying to answer the question, does the church play a role in culture change? All right. Uh, a famous book, which I think you ought to read by uh, Richard Niebuhr, is Christ and Culture, where he kind of explains or points out the different ways that um, we understand how Christ is in culture, or is, it, is he above culture, or does he transform culture, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so anyways, that's a good book. Uh, d- definitely highly recommend it. So let's get, let's get practical this next half hour. To be in the world but not of it, what, what does that mean? Let's say, can you imagine if, if you have that mantra in your mind and you're at work, what, what could that mean for you, practically speaking, in the world but not of it as a Christian? Once again, I see the imagery of Jesus and the salt shaker and this being the salt in the world. And the salt <clears throat> must be distinct. If we're not salt, then we're just like the world. We're just like the earth. And so we have to be distinct in our Christian beliefs, Christian attitudes, Christian behaviors in order to impact the world. And unfortunately, what the world sees through the non-Christian media are Christians fighting, are Christians not displaying the love of Christ, being hypocritical, being abusive. If that's all they see, then it's hard for the church to create any culture change because culture change requires a change in beliefs, a change in perspective. Let me tell you a few interesting things I've encountered um, while driving for Uber. I get to talk to people who don't normally come into our church and tell us things that we want to hear or, or expect to hear. I ask them just blatantly, like, what do you think of the church? And sometimes I would drive specifically to West Hollywood to the biggest gay clubs there mm. so that I'll get pinged for a ride for Uber. And I specifically talk to them about Jesus. And I don't tell them I'm a pastor. But eventually when it comes out that I am a pastor, because they ask me, they're shocked. They're surprised that, wow, you treated me with respect. Yeah. You talk to me like you care about me. And I, I'm surprised that they are surprised. Right. I mean, what picture do you have of Christians that we hate gay people, that we... That we beat them up. I mean, what kind of image do they have? And so I get to see firsthand what the world or what the culture, how the culture views the church. And, it, and it's not good. And it's not pretty. That perspective has to change if we're going to create any type of culture change. There's an interesting uh, dichotomy, I think, that happens as well as in the sense that there's a, lo- a larger group of people who self-identify as Christian. And they may identify as Christian because that's just the label that they have. Oh, I, my mom. Because they're nobody else. They're not, right. They, not, my they're mom not Muslim. Grew up a, they're not. Yeah. They're not Muslim. They're not Jewish. Exactly. Yeah. So they must uh, be Christian. And 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 you know the smaller subcategory of uh, and the Barna group does this. They don't ask if you're born again. That's not how they distinguish. They ask you know do you do you attend church regularly? Do you believe? It, that there was a single salvific moment in your life. So they, so they have some qualifying questions to identify these people. Nancy Piercy, in her recent book, The Toxic War on Masculinity, draws a distinction in that when you look at, you know, you hear the, the standard stats, right, that Christians divorce at the same rate as the world, as an example. Yeah, I hear that all the time. Is that true? But here's what yeah. she says. Uh, 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 she finds out that... When you look at 
the secondary characteristics, what they call multivariate studies, if you're into sociology and that kind of thing, when you, it's individuals, Christian men who are faithfully going to church every Sunday, um, f have an idea of service and servitude to their wives, and they are a much happier group. They are a much more, uh, they stay married for actually much longer periods of time. People who claim to be Christians but are not faithful churchgoers, they don't have a regular uh, practice of reading the Bible or regular devotion time, uh, they tend to use the submit scripture almost as a cudgel <laughs> to make their wives fall into line. Mm. And that of course, will breed contention in the in the marriage, and and it causes all kinds of problems. So, so you have real Christians or real men versus virtuous men. You know, that that's the distinction she makes. She 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 so she goes. Uh, it was a professor who asked his West Point graduates, you know, what does it mean to be a good man? And they would list all the virtuous qualities. And the professor then turned around to the West Point cadets and said, if I said, what does it mean to be a real man? Those were all the macho characteristics, mm. right? I'm a real man. I can go and spit nails. and all that. <laughs> So she, she uses that dichotomy, being a real man, being the tough guy, versus being a virtuous man or a good man. And, and within Christendom, you find that same dichotomy. So so we, I do want to be a little careful in this drawing these distinctions because sometimes people will use a label and it may not fit as we understand it. But to that point then, I think it's important that the pastors of the churches understand these things and try and draw people to the reality of Christianity and the practice of Christianity. And, you know, why is it that more women attend church on Sunday mornings and the husbands stay home? What, what's going on there? And why, how do we reach those men? How do this, how do, and it's not the wife. It's not the pastor telling the wife, you need to get your husband to church. That's the wrong message. We need to come out and see what we can do to talk to those guys and help bring them along. Yeah. Let's let's talk about something practical in terms of the whole. We're in the world, but not of it. And uh, I, I feel like a lot of churchgoers they always have this. You, you use the word dichotomy, uh, like the pastors have the spiritual, you know, upper hand. Like yeah. they they they're better suited at just anything I can't, I can't evangelize people. I leave right. it to the professionals. It's right, like, right, exactly. Right, I, I can't diagnose measles either. So. Right, and they're the non-pastors, yeah. and somehow uh, th that their vocation is somehow less than the pastors. Yeah. There, there's that separation somehow. Speak to that. I mean, what what is wrong with that thinking? Well, again, it's... it's uh, if you understand Ephesians, the, the, the command in Ephesians 4, 6, that the whole point and purpose of the church is to equip the saints for sacred service. So my model is more like boot camp. It's, it, church isn't—and and, and I think Walt Russell, uh, in his book, Sustainable Church, does a very good job in outlining this, is a lot of times what happens in— our modern society, especially because we are living in a celebrity culture, is you have a, a, a charismatic leader, a pastor, who is passionate, speaks well, and gains people following. And usually those folks also have a ministry drive of some aspect. 
it might be evangelism, it might be missions, whatever the case may be, it might be teaching. But that ministry drive gets some support because you now you have a church body that can help you attain to some of those goals. And then what happens is the pastor grows in popularity and the church body expands as his support system. And and in our 21st century, as his celebrity rises, more people want to flock to it because he's celebrity pastor now, and they all want to be part of his program. Well, this is exactly backwards. The, the church should be actually this. You should be a boot camp. And when people come to your church, if those if some of those people are called to be musicians, then how can we as a church help you do that to the glory of Christ? How can we help the intellectual further his studies? How can we help the evangelist be a better evangelist? It might not be my calling as a pastor. My calling is to help you as the body of Christ express the gifts that the Spirit has given you in a way that is the best for the entire body. I like that. Yeah. Is so, your church like that? Yes. And that this is one why this is one reason why we don't have a senior pastor. We actually have three people who co pastor mm-hmm. and rotate on a regular basis. Yeah. So we so we don't fall into a kind of a cult of of personality. Sure. Kind of like apologetics.com too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not named after a person and uh, we're all just contributing into this into this mission That's and right. vision. Yeah. So I know you have your own ministry that you had, but I invite anybody who has a passion and a voice for mm. defending the faith, you know? How about you, Pastor Jason? What are your thoughts on that? The whole well, I can't say my church is like that as well, but in my preaching, it's, it's my expectation, no, it's my uh, assumption that they are to be, I mean, they are in the world. I'm not telling them to to be more at church, be more devoted to church. I'm telling them, go out more and talk to your coworkers, talk to your family members at the Thanksgiving table about Jesus. Take it out there. It's your job to take it, take the gospel to all these places where the gospel is not. Not my job. That's your job. And my preaching is always to send them out of church, not mm-hmm. bring yeah. them in. But do you sense that dichotomy like the, the, the economy the, exists yeah that the it, it pastors kind of like do all of that spiritual stuff and somehow they're on a different plane yeah it, than, the same thing is true yeah. in education now right we 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 it used to be that you as a parent understood that ultimately if your child isn't doing his homework hey it's my responsibility as a parent ultimately as the child uh, with a child's welfare to, to educate him and you know and so I send him to school but I make sure and I check his homework and things like nowadays it's like oh no no the oh it's the teacher's fault and then if the child brings home F's then I'm going to ask the, the teacher, teacher why she's failing you know as opposed to hey focus on your child right so this is again this is kind of a cultural shift that we've we've seen and, and we outsource everything and right. it's just like it's it's sad, really. Yeah. So th- that definitely that's not helpful to the church body no. when they see that dichotomy. Right. We talk about Oz Guinness's work a lot, and uh, I want to just mention some of some of his points here in terms of culture change. Actually, um, he says that, and and I want your reaction to this. He says that we need to start from the center, not the periphery. So he's saying you go into the cultural centers of of any society. Mm-hmm. So perhaps he's suggesting 
that it's in Washington that we do good work or in L.A. or Chicago, whatever, the big cities, the big cultural centers. That's where we ought to be focusing. So that that is, in one sense, interesting because for the longest time, we've been sending missionaries to the other parts of the yeah. world. And I think the world is now sending missionaries yeah. to the United States because we have neglected the center. So that's, that's one thing he would say. Uh, the, the second thing he would say, which he would say, the leaders, we need more leaders. So focus on the leaders. Get the leaders to do do their jobs. We don't need more followers. We need more leaders. I think he's right on that. That's obvious. Um, that's why in some sense, right, a bottom-up approach. That was St. Patrick's uh, strategy, right? That's how St. Patrick evangelized Ireland, was he came back and he looked for the chief of the towns, mm. and he witnessed to the chief, and he understood that if the chief would believe, then the townspeople would follow. All right. So. No, that's, that's true. That's, that's a good— I agree uh, with Osk, but yeah. uh, the centers are in seven or eight different places. Not hundred different places, but no. the centers are in seven or eight different places. Sure. And yeah, those have to be encountered in specific ways, not the same way for each different center. And I would say the one group of people that successfully changed culture are the LGBTQ. In 1990, a book came out called um, After the After, After the, the Ball, Ball. Yeah, yeah, written by two Harvard graduates, and that was the mantra. You you could say the the thing that I mean they specifically had a procedure, had a strategy of changing the leaders, changing perspectives, speaking out. They had like 11 different things that specifically had to be followed, including changing the laws. And they had put in a lot of money into doing that. And it took them about 20 years to do so because even 20 years ago, um, you didn't have to be Christian or religious. I mean, it was just a bad thing to be gay. Yeah. It, was, it was, yeah, they were based off of desensitized Jam right. and convert. Exactly, you remember. Those, those yeah. were the th- those were the three, f- and they did phases. that successfully. Yeah, and yeah. I'm saying I'm not saying the church should follow the same model, but we have to be strategic yeah. in our way of approaching culture. Right. Not not just let's just do our thing, let's sure. just be holy yeah. and pray, but we must be strategic. And if the media portrays us in a negative light, react against it, yeah. correct it. If the laws are being changed to make to hurt us, we must fight it and vote against it. I mean, we must do the things. But that we're going to do that anyway. So exactly. I mean, I you know yep. the, the 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 greatest cultural shift the world has ever seen was Christianity pulling Rome out of paganism, mm. and that happened against incredible resistance. Again, you, you think of Tertullian writing the Emperor in his Apology, and he lays out exactly how the Christians were changing things. Part of what was yeah. changing things was you had a huge mass of individuals who were disenfranchised. You were, if you were Roman, you were great. If you were anything else, women, slaves, what, you, know, you were second class. And Christianity came in and started not merely preaching that you have value as a second class citizen, but as a second class citizen, you're humility and your value comes from your servitude and even death in martyrdom is something you can be proud of and this amazed that class because they'd never even thought of themselves in that way before and that's why they they came in droves right. now the romans 
castigated Christianity. Oh, it's the religion of the slaves and the women, you know. Mm-hmm. And they, they, but the, guess what? It was a groundswell that just couldn't be stopped. And, and so ultimately they try to crush it by persecution, but it still couldn't be stopped, right? The, the blood of the saints is seed is how he ends that uh, famous letter. So, so there's a good way that we, they change. They, and Tertullian says, we live more noble lives and more, we obey all the Roman laws. So we're still living in culture. We, we obey the laws that you have unless you're telling us to worship false right. gods. But we even go farther than that. We don't sleep with anybody else's wife. We don't go to the temple prostitutes. We don't do any of those things. We're, we're living, we're the most uh, uh, legal and we're the best citizens you got. <laughs> right. That's true. Uh, you know the work of Rodney Stark. I yes. know you quote him a lot, but uh, briefly, I mean, he had several points that he laid out, but the the reason why, one, one of the reasons why Christianity exploded uh, uh, in the third and fourth centuries, uh, and even closer, near, near to that, uh, was the fact that we were rescuing babies from the dump heap. That's right. right. And we were caring for people with contagious diseases. That's right. And because uh, nobody else would do it. Uh, I forget one plague that happened the, the, in Rome. The, 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 yeah, the, it was, it's probably a bubonic plague. It happened 160 AD. The, 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 uh, right. Per, the Everybody plague. else, the doctors were fleeing the yes. city. The Christians remained, and they go, no, we got to help our neighbor here. So I think right. I remember those two for sure, yes, those yes. two things. And, and they got, and again, you know, they were picking up babies, and the Romans were mystified by this yeah. because they were saying, well, you know, you don't know if you're going to have enough food to eat. Right. And you're, you're scooping up this extra child to put into your house, and half the time they had, you know, they were abandoned because they had a, a, a lame foot that'd never right. be a good farmhand. So... It's just a liability. Right. And, and two things happen. First of all, they, they can't figure it out. And so they start using it as propaganda. You know, they talk about eating the body and drinking the blood, and they're <laughs> right. picking up all these. I wonder if they're maybe using them as child sacrifice. Yeah. Cannibal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this, it, it, see, it, 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 proof Twitter was available in early Rome because that's the only way those kinds of rumors. No, I'm kidding. But, <laughs> and right. so the church has to be doing the same thing that, that that book talks about, in which we are doing the the, the Just, work that they don't want to do. Yeah, being attractive, showing yeah. mercy, being attractive, and giving the the people who feel worthless yeah. worth. Now, where do we see people feeling worthless today? Well, just look at the uh, movement in youth in terms of depression, in terms of meaninglessness. Uh, suicide rates are through the roof. Uh, we need, as the church, to start talking to young people about value and worth and beauty through the lens of Christ, because I don't think they he- they've heard that, and I don't know that they understand that that's part of the message of Christianity. And when you say yeah. the church, and when we say the church, it's not talking about the church come to the La Habra Christian Church no, to do yeah. so. I'm talking about the, the Christians people. that embody the yes, church the people. to go out there yeah. and to do these these uncomfortable things. The universal church. We need to yeah. engage the culture yeah. more and I don't see a lot of Christian leaders doing that. Yeah, yeah. I think we're just comfortable 
almost clocking in every Sunday morning at 9.30 saying, mm. I've done my duty, I'm a good Christian, and then leave it, you know, a couple hours later, and that's it, you know? And also that my church does these good things, checkbox here and yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so long as I'm associated with that, mm-hmm. I'm good to go. Right, oh, and the other thing is yeah. we can't, we, even the individuals who you may otherwise demonize, you, you pointed out the, the LGBT community mm-hmm. and how when you approach them with kindness and compassion and, and not an agenda, there's just, again, they're just shocked because you're treating them as human beings. Right. right. Or like uh, a project. Or a project. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the college kid with the Bernie Sanders t-shirt on, He's not evil, okay? <laughs> uh, yeah, he may have voted for the guy you didn't want or what have you, but you need to, again, he's the guy that we're talking about who's yeah. going to be going to therapy, who's going to be listless, who's right. going to be, who needs a picture of what the beautiful life is that doesn't include money, that doesn't include, you know, I have to be successful by 24, or, or, all of those things, that, that something that Christianity can provide that he's never even understood or or thought through. Yeah. Yeah. Let me finish this one uh, by Oz Guinness, right? So I mentioned there's three factors that uh, are necessary, according to him, for culture to change. And I mentioned, you know, it's the center, not the periphery, mm-hmm. that, that we need to focus on. It's leaders and not followers that, that we need to focus on and encourage uh, our leaders. But the third thing I thought would be... Uh, it, it's interesting and I think thought-provoking. He says that it's the networks and not institutions yeah. that, we, that we need to sort of uh, uh, invade or, or co-op. So it's networks, not institutions. So I believe what he means by that, it's, it's not, let's say, uh, the Department of Education or the Supreme Court or, you know, these big institutions, but it's networks. And I, I believe what Oz is saying is it's through friendships, it's through office parties, or it's through potlucks, you know, Mm. um, or clubs. I think that's what he's saying. And so I I think that's, that's, it's a case for the whole bottom up. Now, I'm not really trying to promote the whole bottom up idea of culture change, but in some ways, there it is, you know. I wouldn't Uh, call it bottom up, but I would definitely call it speaking up, which many Christians fail to do. In terms of uh, creating culture change, I don't think we need more Christian politicians getting up on podiums, but we need more Christians speaking up in our culture, in our networks, especially at the Thanksgiving family dinner and the drunk uncle says something stupid about Christianity or about Jesus and everybody wants to be silent because mm-hmm. we don't want to cause any fuss. But I'm not saying argue, but we Christians have to speak up in our classrooms, in our in our parent board meetings, in these networks that we yeah. have that may seem like, oh, it's not going to change anything. I'm not in front of the TV. I'm not running for president. Yet, speaking up against your drunk uncle at the Thanksgiving dinner party, speaking to the Uber passenger who may say something idiotic about Jesus, those things matter. You may call it grassroots, but those are all these networks that change well, culture. Well, I, I right. agree, but and I, th- I think one of the things that we need to do is we need to think through what our answers are because uh, mm. we, we can sometimes get, um, even though we, we, we are trying to defend it, we, we say something that is more cliche than not. For example, when you start talking to LGBTQ people and they talk about the, like, like you know, well, well of course, you know, I identify as gay or, or something like that. My first question to you is, is really, 
your your sexual predilections are the primary way you understand who you are? Because when I look at you, I see a fully fledged human being who's probably pretty complicated. You probably have a lot of likes. You probably have a lot of family history. You probably have a lot of dynamics in your life that go far beyond what you do in the bedroom a couple times a week. And I want to know more about you as a person. And why would you reduce yourself to only your sexual activities when as a person, people are much more rich and more well-developed than that? So I've not, I've not told him he's a sinner. I've just said, why are you shortchanging yourself? And maybe you should start thinking about yourself in terms beyond just your sex. It's real quick, though. But yeah, we're going to make mistakes in yeah. our interactions. But as we make these mistakes, our, we're going to try to get better at it. Sure. If we're silent, we're never going to get better. Yeah. Oh, no, I agree with you. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that it, it may take some preparation. Mm. You may want to think takes about it ahead of time. Takes practice, too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It takes practice. I know we only have a few minutes, Pastor Jason. Why don't you uh, tell our listeners about uh, LHCC, what's coming well, we up? We have a 100-year anniversary coming up in two weeks. So if you're Was ever La Habra in around the LA area, oh La Habra area. We started it. And the thing is, we're inviting the whole neighborhood. It's not just for our church people and our members. We want to invite anyone and everyone nice. from our neighborhood to come in from Roland Heights, LA. If you're anywhere in the 100-mile radius of La Habra, come to our church October 15th if, for our 100-year anniversary. If you're within two hours driving distance, <laughs> right. yeah, come on by. <laughs> yeah, that may not be 100 miles. That may actually be 30 miles in L.A. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Lenny, are we going to see you there then? Uh, well, I'm, uh, I'm actually up in, in Ventura speaking October 6th at uh, the Ventura Christian Home Educators Association. Mm. So I'll be there and you can okay. find out more at Come Reason. Tell us like in 23 seconds what's going on with Come Reason. Well, that, that's it. That, those are the, that's my next upcoming thing. And then uh, I'll probably be the beginning of the year in New Orleans at the, the Defend the Faith conference and just got lots of good, fun stuff coming up. So, Well, you've been listening to Apologetics.com radio where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. Our hope is that you've learned some aspect about the Christian worldview that strengthens your faith and make you want to learn more. Special thanks to my panel this evening, uh, Lenny and Jason, and our behind-the-scenes sound engineer, Brandon. Yay, thanks for making us sound good there. Until next time, good night. <laughs>